Welcome to the LifePoint Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people become fully devoted followers of Christ through intentionally serving, giving, and caring for our neighbor. We bring you Christ-centered messages from our pastors each Sunday, as well as engaging discussions relevant to your life. So grab a cup of coffee, get comfortable, and join us as we strive to grow as followers of Christ and make a positive impact in our community. Thank you so much. I feel like how Miss America must feel when she... It's close. I'm so grateful. I'm grateful to Pastor Paul and uh, Elvie. We love you so much, and we're thankful for the friendship that God has struck up many years ago and look forward to March's trip. Um, Here we are. We're back together. I'm back. You've been here. This is amazing to see. God's presence is here. So grab a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one underneath the seat in front of us. Just say hi to the person before you reach under there. And uh, pull it out and open up to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. While you're doing that, two uh, quick announcements. One is Starting Point is today at 1 o'clock, right after this service. If you've never been to Starting Point, then you're welcome to come. It's for anybody who has never had a chance to get our wonderful lunch, which has been provided by our seniors group, and which you know it's going to be amazing with plenty of desserts. And uh, it'll be a chance for you to sit with the pastors and elders. We sit out there and we talk and commune, and then we talk a little bit about the vision of the church. And if you've never been to that, stick around, come at one o'clock. You can come right back in here. We'll talk for about 10 minutes, and then we'll go out and enjoy and fellowship and have a meal together. And men's retreat, two weeks away, man. Come on. Here's the deal, though. We've got 13 spots left open. 13. 13 spots. That's it. And unlike years past where we can just keep adding, 150 is our max. So men who have waited for the final hour, who have said, I cannot sign up early. I must stay true to my form and procrastinate. I'm telling you, this is it. You're, you, you, we're down to the final hour. We got to know. So you can still sign up online. You can sign up right out in the lobby as well. August 11th through the 13th, the God's Holy Spirit, His holy fire is going to be there. Men, there is going to be freedom. There is going to be freedom from addiction. There is going to be healing. There is going to be powerful week. This isn't just a weekend to get up and play some paintball and hear a few good messages. If you want real change, I mean, you want something that you have been saying, God, I, I need you in this. I promise. I put my guarantee on it. You will meet the Lord there. You will find freedom up there. This. So you got you to make a decision, though. You still got to go. You got to sign up. You got to go. And so, men, this is the last call. We're calling you out. Come on up. We look forward to it. Uh, oh, and connection cards. Do you see those cards in front of you on the seat back? If you're in the front row, you don't. Those are connection cards. If you need prayer, if you have updated your address, if you don't get our email, if you would like to talk with a pastor, any of that, grab that connection card, put your information on it, and then see these silver bins by the doorways? You can just drop it in there, and then we'll get those on Monday and Tuesday, okay? Awesome. Psalm 95. Why Psalm 95? Well, Psalm 95 came birth out of uh, our time off. My wife and I went up north for a couple of weeks with the family and the dogs, and we, we accomplished my dream of doing nothing, day after day. I would wake up, and I would do the same thing I did the day before, which was nothing. And it was everything I dreamt it could be, and I hope to do more of it in the future. And uh, in that time, I got to spend a lot of time talking to God. 
And one of the things that I felt like the Lord showed me and the word that he gave me, now mind you, this is not a new revelation. This isn't a fresh word from God. This is what God's showing me. When I ask him about the church, when I say, what are you doing? What am I supposed to do? What, what's going on? The word he gave is it's time to rebuild. Now, who here has ever been part of a remodeling project of a home you're living in? Isn't it fun? Don't you love remodeling a home you're living in? Everything is comfortable and it's easy and it always ends on time and under budget. There's no stress, right? Remodeling's hard. Rebuilding's hard. It's usually worth it, right? Usually you've got something beautiful that helps out and makes your life great and now your tile is this color instead of this color and it was totally worth it. The fact of the matter is, anytime you rebuild, is going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be difficult. And sometimes it's going to be messy, right? What God has shown me in the last two months here at LivePoint, since we went from three services to two services, we had the um, intention of doing that to make the congregation closer, right? When you leave first service, you'll run into people coming to second service. No longer do you miss a whole group of people. Also, it allows us more time. And we've seen that at the end of service with our response time, right? We don't just say, if you want Jesus, come on up. If you'd like to give your life to the Lord, we sort of give a one, two, three count. Nobody? Okay, great. We're moving on, doing worship and closing, right? What do we do now? Pastor Tim stands up here, and he gives a word from God, and he starts speaking, and then the Holy Spirit takes the message and begins to work on your heart. And what have we seen? What we've seen is that every Sunday since then, a man or a woman has come forward, given their life to Christ. Every Sunday since then, the altars have been full of people saying, yes, I want more of you, God. And so here's what I see. What I see is it's kind of a mess sometimes. And it's difficult. And if you're a Christian here, you're like, I liked it better when it was just a quick boom, 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 and then we were out. And it's sort of tough now, and there's this sort of, is anybody going to go up? Isn't anybody go up? Should I go up? Should I stay here? I don't know what to do. Am I allowed to pray? Are they allowed to pray? There's a lot of that. And if I didn't see such tremendous fruit, then we would change it. But you know what? We're in the middle of a remodel right now. And it's okay. It's okay to be a little uncomfortable. The fact is, the Word of God is being preached. The name of Jesus is being worshipped every single Sunday. And lives are being set free. The captives are being set free. The Christian is being set free from religion and demonic influence. That's what's happening here every Sunday. So stick with us. God is building something, and I want you to be a part of it. And what he sh uh, showed me in my time off is to get ready to rebuild again, right? Get your hands dirty again. It's time to be uncomfortable. That led me to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. I'm going to be reading from the NASB version, New American Standard. We'll have it up on the screen, but if you're following along with an app, that's the one you'll want to choose, NASB. This is a praise song of all praise songs. And it uh, goes like this. Oh, come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us, what? 
Shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hand are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for it was he who made it. And his hands formed the dry land. So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Today, if you would hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah. As in the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they had seen my work. For 40 years, I loathed that generation. I said, they are a people who err in their heart, and they do not know my ways. Therefore, I swore in my anger, truly, they shall not enter my rest. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray. Father God, oh Lord. Use me as a mouthpiece to speak your word, and may your Holy Spirit, Lord, move on the hearts of those here. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us shout. Don't we come before the Lord with quiet reverence? The Baptist in me, I grew up Baptist, says, you come to the Lord in quiet reverence. You wear uncomfortable shoes. You wear a clip-on bow tie so the Lord knows you're serious. And that's how you come before the Lord. So what is this psalm in the Bible telling me to come before him and shout with joy? Right? It, it's got to make you ask a question as a young Baptist boy. When, do I, when, when am I allowed to do that? Because <laughs> in church, I wasn't. I went to a Christian school that was Baptist during chapel. I wasn't. You weren't allowed to shout. Shouting would get you in trouble. When are you allowed to shout for joy? Is this a private thing? Is this something you do on your own when you're like in the car, then you can shout for joy? This is worship. This is gathering. This is fellowship. This is a call to the people that when we gather together, this is what we do to remind ourselves of what's important, that you are to shout joyfully before the Lord. Why? Because he is the rock of our salvation. He is the very foundation for which we love him. Now, I get it. Shouting can be difficult. It takes you out of your comfort zone. Who here isn't a shouter? All right, we got our quiet people. That's wonderful and that's okay too. Do you like it when people shout? You like shouting. Okay, just yell it out next time. You say, I'm a shouter. I know, Nathan. Do you mind when other people shout? When do you ever shout? Sports? Sports? <laughs> worship, right? Why do we shout? Excitement, joy. Because he's worthy. Thankfulness. Come on. This is good, huh? Emotion. Ooh. Are we allowed to show emotion? The whole Psalms are full of emotion anger, hatred, frustration, fear, joy. Adoration, exaltation. I didn't hear it. 
Surrender. Oh, you, you, you're ahead of me. I'm going to get there. Yes. Surrender. Surrender. Man, if you've ever been stuck in an addiction, if you've ever been stuck in a bad place in your life, maybe just a season that's been difficult, can I tell you that the joy that comes with surrender, there's nothing sweeter. I've talked about it. I've shared my past. I shared about that day when nine months later after we had that first miscarriage and I had said no to God and the Lord's Holy Spirit brought me back and I got on my face and I am like snot in the carpet and I'm breathing in the dust of two years living in this home and I just start shouting for joy. I can't get enough because I finally surrendered. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let's talk about that. Is there anywhere that God is not? So when the psalmist says, let us come before his presence, what's he mean? You see, it's common in our world to say, I see God in the beauty, in the lake and in the mountains and in the trees and the ocean. And it's true, you do. You see his handiwork. You see the artist's handiwork. But there's something different about coming into the presence of God. In fact, in the original writing, the word there is paneum, which literally means the face of God. So come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. It's saying, let us come before the face, the very presence of God. Now think about this musically. Does anybody here have an artist, a musician that they really love? Your wife? That is all. Well done, Robert. Well done. Anybody else? Yanni, Andre Bocelli, Jeremy Riddle. Who? Andre Brehu? Rahu, Rahu. Michael Buble? Huh? Charity Gale? I don't know any of these people. I thought you would name much more famous people. Huh? Pastor Joe? Come on. He's not even in here. That doesn't count. Huh? Adele? Adele's beautiful voice. For me, Michael Bolton. It doesn't get any better than him. I celebrate that guy's entire calendar. Yeah, uh, later. Here's the thing about an artist. Their music is all over the world, is it not? All over the world. And you get to know them. You know what makes them hurt and cry and what makes them happy and strife in their life. And they sing about it in their song and you connect with it. That's what music does. We connect with it. But I couldn't exactly say that I know Bocelli or Jeremy Riddle or Joe, even, just because I listen to their music. Even though it's all around. And even though I can go in other places of the world and hear it. You, are, you, are, you, are you listening to me? When it says, I come before the presence, I come into the face of God, there is something different that you will learn about coming face to face with that musician versus just seeing their work or listening to their work. For so many Christians, we believe that if we show up to church where others are worshiping and where the song is being led, that we are worshiping. I want to break this to you. That's not worship. You can even be singing the words. It's not worship. You are witnessing the works. You can even get goosebumps. You are seeing his majesty sung by those who believe. But if you aren't coming face to face, if you aren't saying, Lord, Take and stare into the deepest parts of me. Reveal what is not of you in me. 
As I sing this song, pour out your spirit, Lord, I don't just want to sing the words. I want you to change me, Lord. Because I know who I am and I know my weaknesses and my wickedness. So don't let this just be a song. But change me. This is why it says we get on our knees. And that's where the surrender comes in, young lady. Twice, it says, we bow down before him. Let us bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. When you bow down, you are vulnerable to attack. When you bow down, there's no more negotiation, is there? You don't bow down and then start negotiating. If you had a place of kneeling and bowing before somebody else, the negotiation's done. You're saying, it's not my will, but it's yours. In the old times, you would come before a king, and in the king's court, you would be required to bow down to the king before addressing him. And all those in the court would be witness that you have subjected yourself to the majesty of the king. In other cultures, you bow down to their God to show servitude to the God. There's three really famous guys who refused to bow down. Remember them? And what was that? They were being asked to show deference and servitude to that God. And they were saying, we bow to one God and only one God. Bowing is not just a position of the body, but it's a position of the heart. When I used to snowboard back when I was a young, fit, charismatic child, I loved snowboarding and doing big tricks and jumping off like fresh powder and big drop-offs. It was amazing. And as I was learning from a friend who was much better, and I wanted to learn the 360. Anybody know of this on a 360? If you want to complete a 360, what turns first? The hips? Your head. And you know how hard that is? To let go of the landing? To have to turn your head? What you, what, what you want to do, I'll just tell you, and then you fall and bruise yourself miserably, is you want your whole body to turn while you still look, and at the last second, you turn. And it doesn't work. You fall a lot. The first thing that has to turn is your head. Your head, and what happens is the body follows. So what I'll hear a lot of modern Christians say is, well, I don't need to bow or kneel to the Lord anymore. I don't need to do that. My heart is in a posture of worship, and yet, if your body doesn't ever lead, if you never get down, if there's never a point you humble yourself to kneel before him because of what others might think or because you might not get back up, I don't know what your excuse is. I'm telling you, lead with it. Lead with surrender and see that God doesn't fill you with the joy that you're looking for. It starts off and he's praising God specifically that he's a creator. You see that? Let us shout joyfully to him with the Psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. Don't you love that imagery? In his hands, he holds the depth of the earth. The peaks of the mountains, they're also his. The sea is his because it's him who made it. And so, first and foremost, what's he doing? This whole psalm is about worship. And so he's finding an objective truth. Objective means it's not questionable. Just because you don't believe it doesn't mean it's not true. Subjective means it's true if you believe it or not. 
objective is he's saying, this is who God is. He's the creator. He's all-powerful. He holds the earth in his hands. The mountains are his. He holds back the sea. This is who he is. So he's acknowledging the objective truth that God is all-powerful. Pay attention to this. Because what comes next is what is so important for you and I to enter into the same kind of worship. So come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, what? Our maker. Say it with me. Our maker. He knew something before his time. He understood something. You see, it's one thing to just know an almighty benevolent being is out there. It's another to claim him as your own. He's ours. He's mine. That's personal. That's redemptive language. That's help you out of a tight spot language. That's lift you up when you're down language. He's not just this almighty God. He's mine. He's my redeemer. And we, I, and now there's recognition. Who are you? I am the sheep of his pasture. I am the sheep, look at this, not just of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. So personal. There's not just some being out there in space that we're telling you to worship. This is a personal God who wants a relationship, not a religion. I saw a pastor friend of mine posted on social media this weekend something that I thought was pretty interesting. Um, He was saying, first and foremost, there are no aliens. He goes, aliens are a demonic lie to reach at the heart of man. And then he said something interesting. Think about what aliens always do. They're a supernatural being from another place. They're smarter and more advanced and with greater power. And they come into our earth, and we want them to bring peace and to heal and to help, right? E.T. could heal with a touch. So wait, 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 wait. You, you mean you want a supernatural being outside of the earth to come in the form of man down to earth to save mankind from its problems and to bring peace? Like, it's already right here. Like, it already happened. But isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how non-believers, people who say, oh, I'm not a religious person, they're the first to believe in aliens because their heart is yearning for Jesus. It's yearning for their creator. They just don't know it. They've been blinded and lied to and been given a forfeit, counterfeit story of something that's actually already happened. And you can have that peace. You can have that same Jesus that is written about here. He makes himself available. You who call on my name shall be saved. Call on the name of Jesus today. You know, I said at the beginning, I said, we haven't gone a single service without a man or a woman giving their life to the Lord. Well, I'm here to tell you, first service, nobody came up, I don't think, right? So that means there's somebody in here who's, who God's speaking to, and you're going to give your life to the Lord today. I believe it. God is talking to you right now. But here's the thing, and this is the word the Lord put on my heart when he gave me Psalm 95. You've got to understand the value of Jesus before you receive Jesus. And so here's an analogy that one of my favorite pastors throughout history once gave 30 years ago. I listened to it probably 20-something years ago. 
to help you understand, right, why am I so passionate? Why are there others in here who are on their knees and raising their hands? What is that? I want it. I get it. I get that you love Jesus. I just don't love him like that. But I want to, but I don't. Does anybody feel this way ever? I see your passion, and what happens is you'll come to a place where the worship is off the charts or the preacher is so fiery, and and you feel their passion and you love it, and it gets you fired up. And, And then you go home, and the week drags on, and all of a sudden that fire, their fire just sort of fizzles out in you. And you start trying to pray, and you start opening your Bible, but there's nothing there. Let me tell you, it has to come down to value. So here's the analogy Keller gave many years ago, and I loved it. It was brilliant. He said, there's a woman who inherited jewelry from her mother. And it was jewelry she'd seen her mother wear as she grew up. And one day she was wearing one of the necklaces, and her friend saw it and said, you know, I used to work for a jeweler. That's an incredibly rare piece you have. You should take it in and see what it's worth. And so she does. She takes it into a jeweler and says, hey, is this worth anything? The jeweler, stunned and in awe, says, do you understand what you just gave me? Turns out that she had a piece of jewelry that was worn by a queen centuries earlier, and its worth was in the tens of millions of dollars. Here's something that she's just had on her dresser, and she wears on Thursdays sometimes. And he hands it back to her, and he says, tens of millions of dollars, this is priceless. Now, what happens if this was you? What's sort of the first thing you do? You walk it straight to the safe. Can I get that in writing? Do you want to buy it? I'll take $10 million right now. Instantly, how you view the necklace, how you view this thing changes, doesn't it? Why? Because somebody showed you it had tremendous value. Before it had value. It had cultural value, traditional value. It was in your family, so it had familial value. But now, for the first time, you recognize that this thing has the potential to change your life. Are you getting where I'm going with this? So the first thing you do is emotional. Maybe you cry. Maybe you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a millionaire. What? I'm a millionaire. And it's emotional. You're not just going to go home and throw it on the dresser. You're going to lock it in the safe, right? Sometimes you wonder, where did I put that necklace? Not anymore. You know exactly where it is at all times. The second is volitional. It's how you change and work, right? All of a sudden, everything you do becomes different because you're no longer the person you were before. You're now somebody who has greater means than most all the people in the world. And so what you do changes. And third, how you live your life changes. Nothing about the necklace has changed. It's still what it was. But now you can help people. You can get the surgery. You can buy a house. You can buy a second home, a third. (laughs) Friends, When you come to see the value of Jesus, not just as your parents' religion or as my opportunity not to go to hell when I die or as something I should do so my kids are more moral, right? But when you yourself 
recognize the value of him, that's when your world changes. That's when you begin to worship. That's when you don't care who's on your left or your right. To get on your knees before your God is a greater privilege than what anybody could say about you. To worship him with joy, to shout and to sing the song, even though you don't know the words, so you just shout out of tune and out of order. But you're in love with Jesus and you're here with other people who love him too. Because you figure out his value. Do you hear me today? This is so it, guys. This is what it comes down to. The Psalm 95, the psalmist has figured out the value of God. And so what's he do? He ends it by warning us. Don't harden your hearts as at Mirabah. As in the, Messiah, as in the day of Messiah in the wilderness when your fathers tested me. He's talking about Moses and the people being let out. Don't harden your heart. Oh man, life comes along and life beats you up and addictions overcome you. And you're like, I know I gave my life to the Lord, but where is he now? The psalmist says, don't harden your heart to him. <laughs> your fathers tested me and they tried me even though they'd seen my miracles, my works. They saw me split the Red Sea. They saw food fall from heaven and show up there for them to eat on the ground. And they still harden their hearts. So there's a warning at the end. You shall not enter the rest of God if your heart is hardened towards him. And so this is how I want to close today. This word is honestly more for the believer in here than the non-believer in here. We often feel as someone who has maybe said a prayer once and come to church our whole life and said Jesus is Lord, that, that we're good, right? We're good. And yet there's no rest. You don't find rest in the Lord. You don't find solace in these pages. When the finances come due every month, when, when the temptation for the addiction rises its head up again, you don't find victory, you don't find peace, you don't find rest, and you wonder, Lord, where are you? Why don't I have this peace? And here's what happens, is we put other things on the throne of our lives. You may not have bowed down and worshiped your TV lately. You may not have bowed down and worshiped your spouse or your children, but you have. When you place them as a greater importance than your walk with the Lord, you may not have gone to your job, gotten at your knees in front of it, and bowed down and worshipped it. But if it takes priority over Jesus Christ, that is essentially what you are doing. Now here's the good news. That's not the end of the story. Right? We know David, he messed up. Kind of. Adultery and murder, it's sort of a big deal. And yet he's called a man after God's own heart because... Why? Because he sought the Lord in his error. He was not defined by his sin. He would be defined by his God. And he went, and he, remember this, surrendered himself and bowed down before God. Many of you in here today that are believers 
need to come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me. I have held this against you. I have held anger in my heart. I have held hatred towards another individual. And I have come in and I have worshipped and I have put money in the plate and I have taken communion and yet in my heart I hold deep unforgiveness. And I wonder why I don't experience your rest, Lord. God's telling you today, you need to let that go. You need to cancel that debt. You need to come and lay it at the altar and you will enter his rest. For others in here who are believers, you're saying, I have struggled with an addiction the entire time I've been a believer. Lust, alcohol, drugs. And I can do so good for so long, and then all of a sudden, bam, I fell. And I know I'm forgiven by Jesus and all that. I just, man, where's the power? You hear me? Where's the power? I've been told there's supernatural power. I'm telling you today that you aren't experiencing rest and the peace of the Lord because you are still holding something else in your life preeminent above him. And here's the thing about the devil. He is sneaky, friends. What is he the father of? Lies. Lies. Thank you. So he's the father. He's the creator. He knows how to lie to you to keep you in bondage with sin. He knows how to do just enough to not get you to run to the church or run to your family and ask for help, but to keep your sin quiet and in the dark and to keep you in bondage and not free. And I'm here to tell you today that we're going to face that head on as a church. Part of the rebuilding is us coming after that, not being okay with almost 300 people sitting in here and five of them coming forward to receive freedom or salvation and the rest of us just saying, good for you. Come on. What I've come to realize is that there are more Christians in bondage in a church service than there are unbelievers. Right? Because at least they know. If you're in here and you're today and you haven't given your life to the Lord, you're like, I know what I am. I haven't given my life to Him yet. I don't know if I believe yet. But Christians are in here pretending everything's okay, trying to worship, annoyed by others who are worshiping differently and wondering why they have such hostility towards their brothers and sisters. Friends, God is speaking to you today. God says, I want to set you free today. God says, but you got to come and surrender. You're not going to get it sitting in your chair, sitting straight, standing tall. Some of you today, God's saying, come on, come surrender, come to my altar. We've got an army of men and women ready to pray with you today. Men and women, by the way, who aren't better than you, but who have literally done this same exact thing. Who months ago, weeks ago, years ago, were at the front saying, help me. I love Jesus, but I don't value him. I want Jesus. I want his peace, but I just keep repeating the same actions over and over again. God wants to set some of you free today. And I pray with everything that I am that you'll let him. That you'll answer the call and you'll say, yes, Lord. And if you're sitting there and you see somebody standing up here waiting for prayer and you feel good, you and God are truly good, praise God, get out of your seat and would you come pray with them? You don't need to be a pastor or an elder or have a degree. You just need to be a believer who's been set free by Jesus. Come up and you stand and you pray with them. 
You ask that the Holy Spirit would set them free here today. Right? One of the craziest things, come on, come on. One of the craziest things the world doesn't understand is how we serve a supernatural God, and yet we all show up for an hour a week and nobody has changed. Come on, we need somebody right over here. I like this. Nobody's waiting for the end. They're like, I want Jesus. If you want Jesus now, come on, get up here. Come on. I'm done talking. There's nothing else I can say. If the Holy Spirit's moving, we're ready to set. Come on up. Come on up. Welcome. Welcome. Come on up. Where are my prayer partners? Get up here. Come on up. Where are my pastors at? Thank you. This is the Holy Spirit. This is not how it went in first service. God's Spirit moves when He moves. Come on. I'm going to pray. Pastor Tim, you're going to come up and lead us in communion and whatever else God's going to do here. So let me pray. Father, I pray over those who are up here right now that in Jesus' name you would set them free. Set them free from demonic influence. Set them free, Father God, from a lifestyle that was of the world, Lord. It says that, we, that you bring our souls to life, that we were born dead in our transgressions and made alive in Christ. So I pray, Father God, that the new life that is being birthed here this morning, that your Holy Spirit would uphold and lead them, Lord Jesus. Protect them, Lord Jesus. And Father, as a church, would you continue to strengthen this body as we rebuild, as we seek the heart of the lost, as we seek to set free the Christian man and woman from bondage, as we seek to worship you with everything we have. In Jesus' name, amen.